Hey man, we not in the basement. We not in the basement, and special shout out to Aviated House because they brought us here with this lovely, lovely scenery, lovely everything backdrop. And shout out to Brother Charleston, who's the owner. Yes. Good man, good vibes. Shout out to anybody in the DC area. You need to play studio. Spring 2022 coming soon. Stand. With all those pleasantries out the way, we have a lovely, 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 lovely guest. <laughs> and she famous. You know, we only bring you the most illustrious of guests, the greatest of guests, hometown finest. And now we have another one for you. Make noise for Leslie Redmond. Woo! Oh, you know, you know what type of energy it is. When you know when they start off early, you know the energy is <laughs> energy's gonna be high, it's gonna be great. Oh. So, Leslie E. Rapna. Period. What Ooh. you got? <laughs> um, a lot of people probably have may watch this and be like, I've seen this face before. Mm. Right. Different hair, same face. Exactly. And because they've seen the face before, I don't want to dive straight in. I okay. need them to get to know you a little bit. Okay. So in everything I've read about you, it says DC native. Right. But that's where it kind of stops. It goes DC native, <laughs> and then it jumps into your life story. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Tell me more. Like, when it says, like, where you from? Where, where, what rec center was you hanging at? Where, where, right. Where, where you go what go goes did you frequent? Who your favorite go-go man? man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> so talk to us. Okay. So born and raised in the inner city of D.C., actually right by Union Station. Okay. Yep. So my parents went to Dunbar, McKinley. My grandparents were all a part of the Great Migration, or what I call really fleeing terrorism from the South. So they were from North Carolina, South Carolina, Houston, Texas. Mm. I'm a first-generation college graduate. So I went to Stuart Hobson, then I went to McKinley Tech. Shout out McKinley, McKinley, McKinley Tech. Shout out McKinley Tech. Okay. You know gay? Following my dad's footsteps. I do. Yeah, yeah, small world, right? He's been on the podcast too. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I see all the dope stuff you do on Instagram. Shout out to you. Because I was actually the manager of the basketball football team at McKinley. Yep. So, favorite go go band, love TCB. Uh, new impressions too. Wow. And shout out to Intuil because Anzion and all them went to wow. tech. So, I just got to, you know, oh my God. Oh, yep, there yeah. you go. You know, yeah. we have one of the biggest new impressions fans ever. Who? You? you gotta get Look at you. you, gotta get you. Gotta get some love. No, he loves doing impressions, but you're, you're the fan. Yeah, one of my favorite songs. They got one of my favorite songs. I'm not gonna sing it right now. But, you're not gonna sing it for us? Oh, really? Shout out to New Impressions. Hey, y'all. I don't know them, but I. Oh, okay. Got it. I never met none of them, but like the music. I love it. I love it. Um, and I used to pop out at the Go-Go's every once in a blue moon. You might have seen me on those stages, too. But every once in a blue moon, wow. I would pop out. But my mother, you know, she wasn't really letting me out the house too much. She was trying not to let me be a city girl too much. So, yeah. So, listen, you've told us, I'm not going to lie, and every it says DC neighbors, they just, just, strump it and just yeah. jump straight. This is the Because I make sure they put the DC in it. Mm. I'm from that. DC, so you got to say that first but they, they don't give us any more they just stop there this yeah. is the most i feel like I've, i'm like okay so did you always know you would be into this kind of stuff like as far as activism and law a hundred percent so it's funny because people come on my instagram story all the time be like 
dang, Leslie, you really did what you said you was going to do, mm. right? Because I think when we grow up in the inner city and poverty, mm. violence, all the negative things, a lot of the time it limits our dreams and where we think we can go. And then when you have a young lady like me, who people, I think, might, again, put in a box of who you think I'm going to be, who you think, how you think I'm going to end up. And it's like, no, I was always telling people, I'm going to be a judge, like Emma McKinley. Actually, it was since fourth grade, I was telling people I was going to be a judge because I had a favorite cousin who was always getting locked up. I had a lot of family members who were always in and out of the incarceration system. And I'm always big on, like, okay, I want to be the problem solver. I want to be the person in control of the situation. So I asked my big mom, you know, who decides if Kevin go to jail or not? And she said the judge. And so I said, that's what I'm going to be. It was just that simple. It was that simple. And I didn't know right. nothing about law school, no nothing. But, yeah, so, like, manifesting before manifesting was a buzzword. Mm. Yep. All right, so let's 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 jump around. This is for you to be that young, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. And jump straight to judge, yeah. Because it's like even L- when I was, but you heard what you said. I asked Big Mom. That's a fact. But at the same time, shout out like, Big Mom. Shout out to Big Mom. Shout out Big Mom. You know, black women are amazing. Yes, we are. Period. So when, because like when I was that young, I damn sure didn't think about like what's the stages to get to judge. Like you was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like that's that's how business. And I think sometimes it's better that you don't know yeah. because it could be intimidating. Okay. And then you like, oh, well, dang, I got to pass the LSAT. I got to go to mm. four years in college. I didn't even think about none of that stuff. So I didn't even think about the barriers. Mm. And I think sometimes that's what you need to do. Mm. Don't even think about it. Just think about what's your end goal. Just do it. Just do it. Got you. You know what they said. Don't Nike. complain, activate. Mm. We, we, I like how you weave that in because that is the campaign. That is, yes. we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about all that, baby. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about all that. So, um. Oh, wait. I need to say something. Talk to us. So, for anybody that may be looking, even though I've always been super confident, I do have to acknowledge, like, how the public education system and the inner city will really try to shoot down your dreams before you can even fly. And I was telling this story to somebody the other day because I feel like I don't talk about it as much. And now that people see how successful I am, I think it's important. So I went to Holy Names. I went to a private school, like kindergarten and first grade. In first grade, and I didn't realize this until I was in law school, they actually put me in special ed. Now, why are you even putting a first grader in special ed, right? Mm -hmm. But we know this is not our land, right? This is not our language. And so they would have a bus in the back. And then in second grade, I went over to Watkins. Now, in second grade, the teacher tried to keep me back. And my mother was like, no, you're not keeping her back, right? Now, this is important because that could have changed the trajectory of my life Mm -hmm. and how I looked at myself. And that confident fourth grader might have not even existed had they kept me back, right? And then it was in sixth grade, if you all remember, that's when they started giving you these tests. And they put you in the Exactly, exactly. So they put you in advanced classes, the proficient, Mm -hmm. the below basic. So somehow, by the grace of God, I got put in advanced class, right? Now, that, again, changed the trajectory of my life. And when they say you're advanced, you become advanced. But when they say you're basic, you become basic. And I often think about my classmates who should have excelled, but they were told that they were basic. And so a lot of the time, you become what they say you are. And so I just want y'all to know, like, don't let nobody stifle your growth, tell you who you are, who you're not. And let's pour into these young black kids and remind them that they are kings and queens. She got the end of it. Hey, that was wow. Okay. Well, at the end of the interview, we usually tell you to look in the camera. Nah, I, I, it was funny because I was gonna be like, yo, so what about like, you know, what, what kind of schooling? What? And she just did the whole thing. She was just like, you know, if they try to knock me down at each step, I wouldn't be here. One hundred percent. That's, you know what, teacher in the second grade, 
Miss Morin. Ooh, I didn't know your name, but ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Is she white? Mm-hmm. White, you know she is. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you saw... You saw so seeing that. Shout out to Miss Thompson. You know this beautiful Afrocentric fourth grade teacher, mine, who had beautiful locks. Her husband, Mister Thompson, had beautiful locks, and she told me like I was super advanced in math. You know, she was like this, like you, you got it. Mm. And so, yeah, you just need people to see you. I don't even care about the ones that don't see us because that's to be expected. But we need people that see us and believe in us. So you leave DC and you go to Barry University. Yes. In Miami. In Miami. I stayed focused too. <laughs> I sure did. What what make you choose? Because there was a wave of people. We actually have a good friend mm-hmm. who went to Barry as well. Shout right. out Miles. Shout out to Miles. So what made you go there? Right. So there was no wave. I had never heard of anybody who went to Barry when I went in mm-hmm. 2010. Um, actually, I take that back. I did know one person that went to Barry, um, but that didn't really have that much influence over me. So for me, I was on a tuition exchange program. Mm-hmm. So my dad worked at American University, um, actually in grounds, and ended up becoming a facilities manager. And basically, we got free tuition, okay. right? And Barry's a private Catholic school, so it's expensive. I did have to pay for room and board, which is a lot. To, it wasn't cheap either. Um, but it was a blessing. And again, for me, I was telling y'all before we turned on the camera, I always had a heart for the community. So I knew I wasn't going corporate. I knew I wasn't going to probably make a extreme amount of money. So I needed to balance all of my debt to income ratio that I was already predicting for my future. Okay, no, I can I ask you one question? Please. You were thinking about all this at 18? Oh, of course. So me, I was like oh, helping my mother pay bills, <laughs> pay her mortgage at 16. So I started working for the Department of Interior in summer school. Shout out to Marion Berry, our forever mayor. You know, I was a part of his summer programs. And the first year I worked at a law firm, funny enough. And in the second year, they were like, okay, do you want to, this is a funny story. They was like, do you want to work at the police department around Southwest or do you want to work at the Department of the Interior? And at the time, I'm 16. I don't know what the Department of the Interior is. And I had a boo that lived around Southwest, okay? Shout out to 106. So I really, the young version of me, really wanted to go around Southwest, okay? And Keith is actually um, deceased now. Shout out to Keith. Um, but, yeah, I decided to go to the Department of the Interior because they said that it was going to look good on my resume. That's what I asked them, like, what was going to look best on my resume? And so then I was saving up to help my mother because... You know, I seen her struggle, and I always wanted to help, and I always knew going off to college, she wasn't going to be in a position to help me, so I had to help myself. So, yeah, I was always thinking about that. So, we get back to Barry. Yes. You're at Barry. What's that like? Um, Barry was interesting because, you know, I grew up in the inner city in public school, so I was like 99% black people. Mm. So Barry was more diverse, different perspectives. It was fun. It was my first time away from home. So, yeah, it was great because my mom, she used to be on me in D.C., so it was good. Um, and then I became an RA in my second year, and then it had gave me a real opportunity to pour into other young people because I saw how... You know, we're not really prepared for college. We don't really even understand what the purpose of college is, right? Um, and so really just, just to be able to pour into them was really great. Then I became student body president, which was like historic. Me and a young black guy from Chicago, we did it at this predominantly white school. And yeah, I graduated 3.5 and did great. Was there a moment at Barry you were like, because you talked about being diverse, where you were like, oh, this is different from back home? Like, this was something specific? Oh, 100%. You know, it was a lot of racist, shady people, some Republicans, some Democrat. You know, they all 
go that way. So yeah, I mean, I was studying political science, so that's not really always a subject that you see a lot of black people mm-hmm. in, and it wasn't a lot of black people. But for me, it was really great because the reason why I studied political science, because I'm from the inner city of D.C., mm-hmm. so people assume when you say D.C., you know about politics, You, but it's like, no, I'm from like the inner city, not the political <laughs> side. And I never like to not know what I'm talking about. I'm from D.C., right? I'm not from Washington, D.C. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I live here, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, it was like, I wanted to become more well-versed, and it was great because then I had, had lunch with President Barack Obama, and it was like great. Like Barry was good for me. You had that lunch with him when you were twenty. Yep, two thousand and twelve. What's it like meeting Obama? He's fresh off the. He's about to be president for a second yeah, term. Yeah, he's running for re-election. Yeah. Well, like, we don't know this at the time, but he's in that process. Exactly. What's it like meeting the man at that stage? It was amazing, honestly, and it was such a blessing because I didn't apply for it or anything, mm. right? Like I was helping to register people to vote. We're organizing for America. And I remember this woman called me and she was asking me like, oh, why are you so engaged? And I started talking about Barack and Michelle and how much I love Michelle and how important I think just voting in general is and people having the right to vote and being engaged in the process in a meaningful way. We are not to talk. So I was just talking, talking, talking to the woman. And so then and the next day somebody else called me and asked me the same question. So that's when I thought it was a little weird. Like the first day was cool. And then the person was like, oh, we want you to come in and talk to President Barack. And I'm like, what? And I was thinking it was going to be like a big auditorium of students. It was just me and two University of Miami students. Wow. At a table. Like, it was basically like how we are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was dope. It was amazing. You said something in there. I wasn't even going to go to it, but you said it, so I have I have to. You said you were, like, enthused to get people just to vote. Um, would the, have the right to vote. Exactly. Access mm-hmm. to vote. I was definitely about to ask that question, Charles. What, what do you what? think of now... With the idea that I've seen many people in particular go, hey, I voted and things may have not gone the way or I'm, I'm not feeling like the results are coming in, in yeah. for Biden in particular. Yeah. What do you say to people who maybe feel like that's not something I want to do again? Because you you seem like you were very passionate and that was before a lot of the gerrymandering we know is like as open yeah. in, the, in the public eye. And you know, I think people have to understand our voting rights are constantly under attack. They're mm. under attack right now. And they wouldn't fight so hard to take it from us if it wasn't significant and important. And I remember years ago even talking to a young black guy in the, in the city and he was like, oh, you know, Leslie, you want to be a lawyer? Like, oh, I'm like, y'all need to go to jury duty. Like, y'all should want me to be a lawyer. Like, you should want me to know what the heck is going on, right? Okay. And I think a lot of the time we fool ourselves. We don't realize that these judges are voted in. These mm-hmm. are, uh, attorney generals are voted in. These city council the people are voted in. The education boards are voted in. Like, yeah. all of these seats can be removed, or you can run for these seats. So it's not just about the president, right? That's even how my Don't Complain Activate campaign really started. And I know I'm jumping ahead of you, but it was in 2016 thanks it was in 2016 when um president trump went into office and i saw how everybody was in a frenzy on social media but like for me my life is not going to be dictated by a person in office you get what i'm saying like black people we've been oppressed we still oppressed and we got to free ourselves and so for me voting is a big big form of our voice and is a bargaining tool that we need to utilize, that we need to continue utilizing. And we have to be present. You know, like, literally, I think, you know, crack got thrown into our community, and just like crack, now it's social media. Mm-hmm. And it's all to distract us and destroy us. 
And right now we're being like compensated to not be active participants in decisions that's going to affect us for years to come. And so I think people want us to become jaded when it comes to this political system and not be involved when in actuality we need to be involved more it's, than ever. It's much better for us to complain than this is, participate. This was a it's hot, easier. This was a hot take I said earlier to someone that the Trump era for better or for for better or for worse, people knew people heads of departments. Mm-hmm. People were it, people knew who Sean Spicer was. People, pe- people had an idea of what was going on. Yes. And I don't know if that same energy is here now, and that makes me a bit worrisome. You think people fall asleep? I think people feel as though... This White House isn't as entertaining. I feel as though people think mm. um, a step back to normal is okay because the extreme that they just had, and I, and I think that's the issue, that the normal wasn't good. Right. It was it was just as bad. It might 100%. not it might not have been visually as right. bad, right. but the effects were the same. No, hundred percent. You heard a lot of our white brothers and sisters saying that, like, "Oh, we back." It was like back to what? Because I don't want to go back. You see what I'm I saying? Go forward. But but I'm also hearing that echoed yeah, by black code. people as well. Right. The good old days. But I'm hearing that echoed by black well, people as well. Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. The black elite ain't no better than white people at all. But don't get me started on that. And I'm not a part of the black elite. For y'all to think because I got the hold on. So, I'm not a part of the black elite. So, so I just want to be clear. So let's talk about something. Let's talk about it. Age 25, you get voted in, elected in. Yeah. Minnesota NAACP president. Mm-hmm. Yes. Youngest ever. And, yep. Mm-hmm. What was that experience? Because that is, we just talked about elections and things of that nature. What is that? First of all, what made you decide to run for? Exactly. Okay, so this is what happened. Y'all know, I went to Minnesota when I was 22, Mm -hmm. and that was around the time Mike Brown was murdered in Ferguson, right? (laughs) Then go to the next year when I'm 23, Jamar Clark is murdered. Right, so Jamar Clark was an unarmed black man in North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. We occupied the fourth precinct for 18 days. That was actually when I did my first like national interview on Democracy Now because of that. Right, so then that following year is when so Nakima, my law professor, became president of the NAACP, the Minneapolis branch. So that was kind of my introduction to it. Okay, I went um, to kind of help vote her in, and then somebody gave me a free membership. It was dope. It was like, I walked in. Look at God. Faith ain't fair. So I walked in, and they're like, oh, you want to be a member? I'm like, oh, no, I didn't come to be a member. I just was coming to support. They're like, well, the woman in front of you just paid for extra membership. I'm like, oh, free is my middle name. So, yeah, give me the membership. So I became a member, joined the Criminal Justice Committee, which was ran by Jason Soule. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Soule is amazing. He's a professor, but formerly incarcerated, right? Been mm-hmm. incarcerated numerous of times. He wrote a book called From Prison to PhD, right? Highly recommend checking that out. So Nakima was president, then Jason was president, then Jason went to go work for the first black mayor of St. Paul, Melvin Carter. So when he went to work for Melvin Carter, I was the vice president. So actually, the time that you're talking about, I didn't get elected in. I just went in his position because he transitioned out. Then six months later was when I got elected in. There we go. Because I kept reading 25 and 26, and I was like, I don't know. Which one it is. Yeah, exactly. So when I became president, I was 25. But then when I got elected, I was 26. Gotcha. See, I I love these clear, love the way to clear these things up. Still the youngest. Exactly. And I could have said no to your point. So the reason why I did it, and you know, we talk about this. The NAACP is not perfect, and I'm not going to act as if it is. However, it is a legacy organization, and we don't have that many of those. Shout out to boys. Yes, yes. And it has a platform that I believe 
is owed to us. And I feel like, you know, I come from ancestors that really relied on the NAACP to advocate for people like them, mm-hmm. even when they couldn't advocate for themselves. Well, at one point in time, it was, a, it was doing what we thought it was going to do. 100%. For sure. And and honestly, there are great people in all different states doing great work, whether it's through the NAACP or not, right? But for me, it's like, we have to take our rightful place. For me, I just believe to whom much is given, much is required. Right? I like that. And for me, being in Minnesota, I owe something to Minnesota. And the NAACP was the best way to do it. Like, you think about people that come here to go to Howard. Yeah. A lot of those people come from really great backgrounds, went to really great schools, and that's how they got into Howard in the first place. Mm-hmm. When we think about what they gave back to inner city D.C., nothing. nothing. And I never want to be that. Damn. That was kind of... That was a bit taken aback for, for good reasons, though, because you said... Like this idea that you you owe something to people that's that's refreshing. I don't yeah, think a lot 100%. of people I don't think a lot of people feel that way that they owe anything to anybody outside of maybe you know their their mother their father their, their you immediate family. So you know white supremacy benefits from us acting like we could be individuals, mm-hmm. right? Like we think about when we got to the north and now it's like oh you know you don't gotta be in segregation no more which means that you don't gotta buy from black people you don't gotta build with black people you can go and just build with white people. You've always wanted to go to that white market so now you can go. I always tell people we gotta be so careful because choices I I'm, I'm all about freedom of choice I am <laughs> but choices could be dangerous when people have been mentally indoctrinated you know what I mean and so we have to just be careful and. I owe everything to everybody. I don't stand here in and of myself. I owe everybody. I owe black people especially. I owe humanity. You get what I'm saying? I believe in God. Amen. So I really do believe in building up God's kingdom. And I really do believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And I've been given a lot. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm really living in a generation where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Right? When you see me on that viral interview when George Floyd got all that viral press mm-hmm. conference after George Floyd got murdered. It's like who I wasn't supposed to be there. Like that perspective ain't supposed to be told on national TV. Not like that at least. It's not. <laughs> People were mad at me. I remember getting a text from an older black woman in Minnesota telling me I needed to step down as being president. Cause I wasn't blaming the black kids for burning the buildings down. Cause I knew it was white people burning the buildings down. We're gonna come back to that, but you, you're, you've been very transparent in a lot of aspects, but especially with that whole NAACP, NAACP piece, mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting because it's a lot. I think it's a, a, a harder for people who are in it. Like you're the actual president, mm-hmm. where former former president of the organization, and you don't feel you feel need you don't feel no need to hold back your punches as far as your critique. Well, I do hold back. Amen. But so that was holding back. Yes, yes, yes. It was. Honestly, I'm about to say the same thing. I had what? two questions. I'm sitting on about the NAACP. Oh lord. One. Maybe I shouldn't have said. See, no, you no, see, no, no. I was, I, I was, had, I had you laid up for like, yeah. You see, she's keeping it real. Now they're gonna be like, well, what she holding on her no, chest? No, 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 that no. was you. One, see, my, I'll be helping out. Was, what was that last word? I'm trying to help out. And two, why did you leave? Okay, so one, y'all hear me? I didn't work for the NAACP. I volunteered for the NAACP. The NAACP is a volunteer organization. And I don't think people really understand that. Because when I told a lot of people that, they like, you didn't get paid nothing? No. 
I didn't get paid nothing. And I don't even believe in free labor. But that's a whole nother conversation. I, you better than me. That's a whole nother conversation. But you know, so for me, I don't mind. Damn, even the NAACP don't want to pay black people. Oh, man, I man, hold on. Man, I ain't saying. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Man, I, man, I, I ain't saying. I, I, I just want to. I just want to. So they really do. They really beg the dollar problem. <laughs> Like now, they're really the bad. national, the oh. national. Okay, so let me just make it clear. The national office does have staff. Okay. The local branches, we don't get paid. Oh, right. Now, um, it's still a little fishy, Yeah, it's it's very complicated. It's very complicated. It's not simple. Okay. I like that. You um, you're teaching us. Yeah, it's 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 real nuanced. It sound like the church. My bad. Damn, you know what? Listen, but you know what? Let me say something. Let me say something. Let me say something. Let me say something. I know, listen, this is what I will say. This is what I will say. I learned a lot, right? I learned a lot. And Chance the Rapper, he says something I love. He said, I'm not working for free, I'm working for freedom, right? I don't think that they can pay us. Like, there's really, honestly, I do so much free work. Like, I'd be a millionaire times 10 by now if I got compensated for really the amount of time, effort, and labor, and the amount of expertise I have. However, for me, it's like my people don't have a, a number. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like you can't pay me not to fight for black people, and you probably can't even adequately pay me to fight for black people. However, I do believe that there should be some compensation. Right, and I want to tell y'all a little bit of history. And I know this y'all show so much I keep going, no. but um, when I do, I do a lot of like consulting and like racial justice equity and stuff like that. And I teach these sessions on Don't Complain Activate. Mm-hmm. And with Don't Complain Activate, there are three C's of activation communication, collaboration, and compassion. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, in the collaboration section. I don't like to just talk. We know about all the shady white people, or at least we know about a lot of them. Mm-hmm. What I don't think a lot of times is we know about some of the good ones, right? So, Morfield Story, y'all ever heard the name? No. Okay, so he was the first president for the NAACP. He was a white man. And he was a constitutional lawyer. He actually was the president of the ABA, the American Bar Association, too. So he was a very wealthy, prestigious, rich white man. I said wealthy and rich, but whatever. And he felt like it was his duty to help black people, right? That the the plight and the violence that our community was facing wasn't ours alone, right? That this was a human rights issue. And so he was willing to give his time, his energy. And when you think about Morfield's story, you think about W.B. Du Bois, it makes sense why you didn't get paid with the NAACP, because these were rich people. Mm-hmm. So the problem is it creates a class system, because typically the presidents of the NAACP and people of that such were very wealthy, and still to this day, right? And that's why... It could be like that. When you have people like me that are not established, that are not rich, it is problematic because it requires us to sacrifice. And it's like, how much can you sacrifice? Because it's already a daunting job, even if you was getting paid. So they're not getting paid. Yeah, it's not not sustainable. You know what's funny? I'm working on a a side project right now, and Walter White is one of the characters. I love Walter White. I got a good story about Walter White, too. You want to share? Yes. We talk about the NAACP might as well. Yes. So um, another example I often give is Eleanor Roosevelt Mm -hmm. and Marian Anderson Mm -hmm. and how when Howard wanted to bring Marian Anderson to sing at Constitutional Hall, the daughters of the American Revolution said no, Mm -hmm. because black people couldn't sing there. Mm -hmm. And so they have a museum two blocks away from Constitutional Hall. Exactly. Exactly. They own a lot. And 
Eleanor Roosevelt is a daughter of the American Revolution. And so she, she basically resigned and said, I don't want to be a part of this racist organization. Not only that, but she wrote in her column, right, and, and called them out publicly. Not only that, she worked with Walter White to figure out what's an alternative. So then they worked with the Department of the Interior, and that's how the Lincoln Memorial event happened, which a lot of people know about Marian Anderson singing at the Lincoln Memorial, but don't know how it came to be. And so shout out to Eleanor Roosevelt, a good white woman who was willing to put on the line. A lot of white people want to say Black Lives Matter, but how much do they matter? And that's what I asked in some of my trainings. Like, how many of y'all would quit y'all job? How many of y'all would call out y'all friends? How many of y'all would leave organizations because they're treating black people bad? And most of them can't say anything. And it makes them think and reflect on, like, how much you really about this. And I'll ask black people the same thing. How much are we willing to give up in order to free ourselves and free our brothers and sisters? And it's not much a lot of the time. You like making white people uncomfortable, don't you? My thing is, anybody that's perpetuating white supremacy, because I don't want us to think it's just white people. Like, yes, it stems from white people, but we all been indoctrinated, and until you do the real work, you probably are perpetuating white supremacy unconsciously. Hello, black elite. Hello, black elite. So let's go back in time a bit. It's May 23rd, 2020. What mm -hmm. did your life look like? May 23rd, 2020. I was really exhausted, honestly. So you would ask the question around, like, why I even left the NAACP? I was exhausted, y'all. I'm exhausted now. That's why my voice sounds like this, okay? I'm exhausted because, you know, I finished law school, I passed the bar, I did a JD and an MBA, and I've also been working for the NAACP this whole time. At that time, I'm still working on fighting for Mayan Burrell. Don't know if y'all heard about that, yeah, but Amy Klobuchar was running for president, and she was a prosecutor who convicted this young black man who didn't do the murder. So I work on wrongful conviction cases, too. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I do voluntarily as well. Pro bono work? Pro as, bono. As a lawyer. Mm -hmm. She's a lawyer, too, y'all. I don't know if y'all actually know that. Like, yeah. certified. Esquire. She got all that. But don't reach out to me, please. <laughs> I, have no, I have no capacity. My capacity is at zero. No I'm, I'm right now trying to help a brother get out of prison. He's been in prison for 18 years for murder he didn't commit. Don't call me. Call somebody else. But love y'all. So, um, Can you give a nigga a referral? Yes. Okay. And not an N-word, but a king or a queen. Can you get a, give a brother a referral? Yes. All right. Okay. So, honestly, at that time, I was going through a lot because... One of my friends in D.C., um, Low, Lowell Tolliver, he had just actually been murdered um, in D.C., and so I was, like, really sad about that. And I was I was going through a lot, personally. <laughs> I won't get into all of that tea. That's that's a lot of tea. I won't get into all of that. We're going to keep it. Keep it, yeah, yeah. cute. So, you, so, just life in general was hectic Ooh. at that time period. Lord knows. I was going through a lot. So let's fast forward 96 hours. Yeah. What does your life look like May 27th, 2020? I have run it over. Yeah, honestly, it was crazy. Cause and, and also mind you, like COVID had hit before that. That's right? what I'm saying. That's why that's why I'm trying to put everything yeah. in context. Like, like for real. So like we were really, I told people all the time, we were in a state of emergency before George Floyd was murdered, right? Like we were already dealing with COVID, poverty, all the issues before mm -hmm. COVID. And so when George Floyd got murdered, it was like, I was a zombie walking around. I don't even know how I was functioning, to be honest, because I wasn't getting no sleep. So basically, let me see what happened. I'm gonna walk you through this. How much time we got? We got all the time in the world. No, we don't, because I'm gonna be tired. No, because that's what I need this story. Listen, I was watching you on TV thinking like, damn, like, 
her city was just burning, and she out here like in front of all mm-hmm. of us, Kirk and White Wakanda. I was like, yo, she going hard. <laughs> so I'm yeah. so I'm wondering like, how was your like how? Because literally, twenty four hours before that, you was white chilling, right? I gotta tell you, so I'm sleeping. Uh, I wake up, I got all these missed calls, I got all these alerts, and then Chief Hernando, the black chief, who is actually re- retiring, but that's a whole other conversation. He called me, it was like, Leslie, I need you coming for this meeting, this black man has been murdered. So I'm like, here we go, here we go, you know? So I go to this meeting, and it's interesting because you see all of these black people that don't even like each other in the room. And Minnesota is very divisive. Like, the black people, they don't always stick together as much as they should, but that's a whole other story. So we all there, and I'm just listening, and everybody talking, and everybody mad, and you know, X, Y, and Z. So then somebody in the room be like, was like, Nakima, Leslie, y'all not going to say nothing? Because we always got something to say. But that day, we was tired, like Fannie Lou Hamer said. We was sick and tired of being yeah. sick and tired. So I remember talking and just crying. Like, I was just at that point, I ain't had no- nothing more to give. I was just exhausted. So then Chief Verdano was like, okay, y'all come back for a press conference in an hour. So that's when we came back, and that's when he announced all four officers was going to be fired. But that was huge because that's never happened like that before. You know, normally they be like, we got to undergo an investigation and all this other yeah, nonsense. After, the police right, after they done seen the video. So he fired, which was very courageous. So then we go to where George Floyd was murdered, right, on Chicago Ave. So we go out there, there's a whole bunch of people out there. Again, we don't know what this is going to become. Right? Like, we don't know at this time. So we there, everybody's speaking. I speak on the mic. Then I'm doing an interview, right? So somebody else driving my car. I'm doing an interview. But we're driving down to where the police um, precinct is. And, we're, like, it's across the street from the Target. Y'all probably seen all that stuff burning. Yeah. So it ain't nothing burned yet. Y'all, I'm driving into it, and it's like a war zone. It's smoke everywhere. It's, it's crazy. It's, like, literally a war zone. So I'm, like, literally on the camera interviewing with somebody. I'm like, y'all, I got to go. So I get out there, the young people out there, the police protecting the building per usual, never protect people, but always protect property. So, you know, I'm yelling at the police and then, 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 then I get tear gas. It's like people putting milk on me. It's just a bad situation. So then later that night, go to St. Paul, same stuff going on. I get tear gas again. I was on live with President Johnson, the president for the National NAACP. Then the next day, somebody calls me and like, Oh, this is when stuff started to burn. So next day, something burned. I meet Tamika D. Mallory until yes, Freedom yes. and all of them. So I met them was because we was protesting outside of Mike Freeman house. He was the Hennepin County attorney, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I, I end up saying a prayer. I tell people, I'm like the female DMX. You know how DMX will pray anywhere? Amen. Oh, we should pray. Can we pray before we get up hey. at some point? Amen. You want to pray right now? Listen, don't, don't tempt me. You want right. to? Let's pray. Let's pray. You okay? Do your thing. Okay. Heavenly Mother, Father, Ancestors, we come to you right now humble, thanking you for the opportunity to be in the land of the living. Lord, we thank you for the breath in our body because we know so many people didn't make it to see today. We thank you for this conversation. We ask that it may be a blessing to somebody but watching, that they may be educated, that they may be activated. Lord, we know that we come to you and we call you so many different names. And Lord, we just ask that we are able to band together, not allow religion, not allow political preferences, not allow race, not allow sex, not allow anything to divide us, Lord. 
Help us to build up your kingdom because that's ultimately why we are here. Help us to see the light and to walk in the light while we have the light. Lord, allow us to be a blessing to everybody that we come in contact with. Allow this to be a year better than any year that we've seen. Allow us to break our chains both mentally and physically. Allow us to become the best version of ourselves and allow us at the end of the day for you to say, well done. Lord, we just thank you for all of the many blessings. We ask for discernment. We ask for understanding. We ask for covering and protection. And ultimately, ultimately, to be a blessing to your kingdom. Amen. 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 And so I was praying. And then I opened my eyes and I see Tamika. And then mind you, somebody had already connected us via text. But I'm the kind of person like, you know, if I see you, we connect, right? So we instantly connected because i don't know if y'all know but i ended up living with them in louisville kentucky for brianna taylor like later months down the road oh, but like we click click you know how sometimes we just meet people and the energy just so good mm. that it's just like great so i meet them so then tamika invites me to the press conference so like the night before the press conference I, that wasn't prepared i don't know if y'all know that or not but it wasn't that was like really off my heart i'm a speaker so i know how to put stuff together but it was really on my heart and so we go there um, my big bro stack, Steven Jackson, he's there. Um, Jamie Foxx is there. Um, what's the what's the shout basketball out. player? Shout out. Yeah, what's the um, basketball player? Which one? From Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, um, 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 um. Carl. Carl Anthony Towns. Yep, he was there. Everybody was there. Everybody was there. And what I just did just now, I said a prayer right before the press conference. We was upstairs, I said the prayer, and then we went to the press conference, and it was lit. It was up. Now, after that, I started getting calls that basically after South Minneapolis had burnt down, they were like Northside. Northside is where all the black people at for the most part. So they're like, they're afraid that Northside is going to burn down. So I'm like, you know, if we could stay out in the dead of winter, like protesting at the Fourth Precinct, we could protect black businesses, black churches, our black community. So basically, we stayed up all night protecting, making sure wasn't nobody burning up and down. The white people started shooting at us. I don't know if y'all seen any of this. Washington no. Post actually interviewed me. I interviewed us out there. But we ended up staying out there for like probably two weeks-ish, something like that. It was crazy. And I remember, I, I'm going to wrap this story up. I remember the morning <laughs> of George Floyd funeral. I was supposed to go like get my hair done because I had locks. I did have hair. I know some of y'all like, I had locks, okay? So I had hair at this time. I was supposed to go to my hair appointment. I missed my hair appointment because I was sleep deprived. So, you know, like when your body sleep deprived, once you finally lay down, mm. it's like, mm -hmm. it's so I lay down. So they're like banging on my door because they're wondering, like, am I okay? What's going on? And y'all jump up because I thought it might have been like the clan, anything. Because it was like my body. It was just so like so much trauma. I tell people, I've been closer to getting shot in Minnesota than I have in the inner city, which is really crazy to me. You know? Did you mention something about like a protester and guns coming out like when you guys were at a protest? That was in 2015 with Jamar Clark when I was there and the gun that came shooting. Okay, so it's not the same. Okay. But then, but not then, good. but then 2020, they were shooting at us again on West Broadway. Yeah. So, um, and then that's when the brothers, I call them the boys from the hood, pulled up. Shout out to the boys in the hood. Okay, we always be like, oh, where the brothers at? They pulled up. They pulled up. It was like, you within the LSD? Oh, we got your back. Da, 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 da. They came, they pulled up, they parked, and they stayed, and they made sure we was protected. And then from that, shout out to Instagram, shout out to social media. I always be bashing social media. But it turned <laughs> out good because some of them was going live, and then everybody showed up the next day. It was like everybody was outside. You know what I like about you? 
you will give the totality of all situations. Mm-hmm. You will be like, yo, that shit is fucked it up. But remember, they did do this thing. Mm-hmm. And you and that, and I like that balance because I think, especially for black people and community and the movement, there's a lot of all or nothing. Extremism. So someone does some one good thing, and hey, this person is held as a saint forever and forever. Right. Someone does something maybe not so good, please do not take this and run with it extreme, and they're a bad person and can never be redeemed. There's no sense of nuance and like, hey, there are people within And everything is nuanced. Like, I pray, this is me. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint. I'm not. Even though I'm blessed. And I try to give people compassion because I want that same compassion. You get what I'm saying? Like, I always deal with people from a compassionate standpoint because sometimes people feel like if you don't get caught or don't nobody know about it, then it's okay and then you can judge other people. But it's like, when was the last time you looked in the mirror? And Because you know you. You know you and God know you. So it's like for you to act holier than thou is just not real to me, right? And so, no, I always handle people with grace because, now again, think back to Mary and Barry. I think that how we get caught off of guard and how we end up making bad decisions mm-hmm. is because we allow them to tell us who is for us and who's not. Mm-hmm. It's like the honorable or minister Farrakhan. Is it minister and honorable or is it just minister honorable Farrakhan? Minister Farrakhan? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Shout out to Uncle Honorable Minister Farrakhan. I love Farrakhan. And, you know, I just don't like how we can be so brainwashed sometimes. For and sure. we can be so, it's like, I don't agree with nobody 100%. Exactly. I don't even agree with like me a year ago 100%. You get what I'm saying? So like, For no, we sure. don't gotta agree on yeah. But let's see where we do have agreements. And let's not cancel people because like who are you to even cancel somebody that shit not real they, people just be that's screaming that's, that's some liberal white people, people shit but people try it they be trying they be trying they be trying and it's problematic it's like who are you it's funny you said that though because you brought up Farrakhan and I was just like I had mixed emotions with Farrakhan mm-hmm. but as a Muslim and a black man in the United States, I can't take away anything he's done for the Muslim community and black people. I would in say the in the black States. community holistically, yeah. like, and that's what it's like. We just gotta be real. And I think for me, growing up, like, I seen a lot of nuances. Like people that I loved, I seen them exactly. do a lot of stuff. That people that I also loved, mm-hmm. and for me, it's like I can hold it all because you gotta be able to hold it all, and you gotta be able to say you was wrong. And I still love you. Like, I really believe in hating the sin, loving the sinner. Mm. Like, I believe that, for real, for real. Like, if you do something effed up, I'm not going to condone it. Like, I, you know how people be like, I'm with you right, wrong, and indifferent? It's like, no. Like, listen, you need to check people. And that's the problem. Like, amen, black man. I can't wait for y'all to start checking each other, okay? Because domestic violence is out of control right now. It's a the lot of stuff that's that was, out of control. The thing that just happened over the weekend. Baltimore, right? Yeah. yeah. Dude uh, killed, killed his, his ex-wife and his wife and the kids and then shot himself. Oh, on the camera. Yeah. Either, oh, yeah. I, I did see that video. Yeah, that was, it's that was disturbing. really it's crazy. Wild, and it's man. been happening for a while now. And yeah. so, but that's what happens when... Our, one of our friends, his uh, little sister was a victim of domestic mm. violence. Black. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, his little sister. So it was just like, no, nah, that shit, you know, it hits home, domestic violence. But no, nah, we on this podcast anyway... We call black men out on their shit and mm-hmm. our, our own shit as well. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, yeah, yeah of course, you got to. You. Black and I like to say, too, not even calling people out, but calling people in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't hate you. I don't want y'all to go to prison. Like, I want y'all to be better. I want y'all to get the help that y'all need. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, like... Stop perpetuating cycles. Exactly. And I always want people to know, like, 
before I met Tamika D. Mallory, who's my big sis, who I love so much, I didn't know her story a lot behind the Honorable Minister Farrakhan and how white women basically tried to tell her that she had to condemn him. Mm-hmm. And they tried to blackball her mm-hmm. because she wouldn't. And I just want any white person to ever see anywhere to know that there is no time and no space in any time can you tell me to disown or to call out a black man. Like, y'all need to know y'all place and position. And that's not it at all, ever. And if I choose to call in or out a black man, I don't have nothing to do with y'all. I just wanted to say that since this is documented. Yo, you are really the best. Like, your oration skills, like, are so good. Thank you. I like, who said it, but uh, I think it Jesus might have been Christ, a director of ACLU or somebody said she's a great orator. Like you, like somebody said it about me. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a quote. I was reading when I was like, doing research. Yo, said it. like everything you say, I'm like, damn, like it's well thought out, it's mm-hmm. well versed, it's well spoken. Like everything is just like. And two, I want people to realize. Amazing. Thank you. I want people to realize too, because because this is my purpose. This is my walk, and I encourage everybody to walk in their purpose because this is what God wanted me to do. Mm. You know what I mean? And also, I've been studying this stuff. I've been living this stuff. You get what I'm saying? Like I know now it's becoming cool and cute to be about the movement, but this is not a trend for me. You get what I'm saying? This is not a get rich quick scheme for me. Like this is real my blood, sweat, and tears. This is my life. This is everything. It's funny, I was reading a book by Chester, uh, I forget his name, but it's a book in the 1960s, and it speaks to just that about how a man comes back from war and try and says, I'm going to be basically an activist to get money. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of, there's, there's this one guy in New York, and that's his whole thing. He's like, I can't find anything else. Let me try to be an activist. And I think that's a, I'm glad you brought that up, because how do you feel about the term when people say, hey, she's an activist? I mean, it's cool. I, I consider myself a justice advocate. I like that term better. I, I first always consider myself a kingdom-building millennial. Amen? Amen. Uh, because for me, it's just like we all here for a limited amount of time. Amen, Amen. to that. Like, do your job. Do your purpose. We all got a different purpose. That's what Don't Complain Activate is all about, right, is that there's no one way to activate, right? Whether like you're a that. mom, a dad, an artist, entrepreneur. We can all activate. Like, y'all are activating through y'all podcasts. That's amazing, right? Like, shout out to the cameraman. Like, everybody is activating. And so we're not in competition, you know? And for me, that's just me. I just walk in my purpose. And I don't mind being considered an activist. I just really want, because it's hard for me, right? Like, right now I'm going through a rebranding stage. If y'all look at my Instagram, it's like no pictures there because I've archived them. I know I have to speak more mm-hmm. and give the people more because really we need that. There's a lack, right? But for me, it's so hard because I'm really about doing the work in real life. It's like that social media world is so different, you know? But I do recognize the capabilities and the capacity of you getting to more people. So that's what intrigues me about it. But really, I just want people to feel like I made a difference. I just really want to make a difference. More than anybody feeling it because I don't really care what people feel. But I want the people that I'm trying to touch to really be touched. And at some point, please ask me about Baltimore. Cause I got you. Okay. I got you. So before we get to Baltimore, we're going to go across the world to India. Yes. You went to India. The land of Gandhi. Yes. You went to India. Yes. Tell us about that trip. You came back with some new ideas. Exactly. And that's when I came back and created Don't Complain Activate. So that was you actually... see how I did that? You did great. 
even though the both y'all been doing really yeah, good. Okay. I'm trying my best. Yes, y'all are great. <laughs> so this is a very great podcast, by the way. Shout out to y'all. I'm hey, glad Mr. I came. Thank it's the best you. podcast in the world, so I've been told. Period. <laughs> and that's just that on that. So that was my first study abroad trip. I was doing my MBA program. We were studying social entrepreneurship. And it was really amazing. And, you know, for me, one of the things that amazed me was, like, how my white colleagues felt like, oh, my God, look at the poverty, look at the injustice. And I'm like, you could have lived in North Minneapolis. I can take you to Baltimore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if it's just the poverty and the struggling that y'all want to see, like, how don't y'all see it in y'all own backyard, right? Mm-hmm. But it's easier because it's distant, right? That's why, like, immigrant communities are treated better. I would tell people that's why I think I'm treated better in Minnesota because that's not the land of my oppression, right? Even though America as a whole is the land of our oppression, mm-hmm. we are specific places that oppress us. And so when my colleagues were going over there, and that's why people don't like you know missionaries and stuff like that because it's like, y'all just coming to colonize, mm-hmm. take advantage, exploit. So when I went there, it was like I could really see myself in these people. It was different, you know? I felt uh, a... Um, a real relationship. They were like distant cousins. And they color us in India too. Yes. Racism uh, in India is vicious. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I was talking and building with some of like the sisters over there and it was amazing because it was like they're just like me. I'm just like them. We mm-hmm. all fighting a good fight, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's really no difference. It's kind of like how there's hoods in every America. Like yeah. It's like the same thing in India. But I will say it was like a breath of fresh air. Kind of like when Malcolm X talked about how it took them to step off of American soil yeah. to really feel like a man. I would definitely say my spirit feels a lot more at peace when I'm not on American soil. His letter, his letter from Mecca is one of my favorite pieces yeah. by Malcolm X. Yeah. 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 It actually goes through and explains like his view of Islam before and, and then actually after. going to the Islamic world and then seeing where Islam really is. It's just like, oh yeah, okay. Now I really see it. I highly encourage everybody to get out of America at least once. Mm. You know, I plan on moving to Africa one day. Thank you, Jesus. But yeah. Well, I'm looking at Morocco and Martinia. Really? Yeah. Like to live? Yeah. That would be dope. Two Islamic countries. The close enough to America is like an eight hour, ten hour flight. Where do you live right now? I live in Sulu, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Well, you should come to Baltimore before you go to Africa. For sure. I used to live in Anaconda County, so I know all about Baltimore. Dope. Yeah. Let's talk about these mobile vans. Yes. So the idea, and oh, that's where you were going. I see the, I see what you did there. Okay, so segue game crazy, crazy, crazy. So when I was in India, and I was actually just thinking about one of the young ladies when I was saying this, was they would have these big mobile buses where they would take them to places where young kids weren't able to have access to education because they had to work with their parents and X, Y, and Z. So they would create a safe space in these mobile um, buses to educate them. And I'm like, oh, we need that in America. And then I thought about Carter G. Woodson and how he used to, you know, have little mobile carts teaching people about the sweet potato and plants and different things like that. And so really it was just an idea to bring it back. Right, and so we bought an RV. It's parked in Shallow Temple parking lot in North Minneapolis. We have home learning kits from NICAT, the Network for the Development of Children of African Descent. I'm actually passing out some in Baltimore coming up next week. Uh, we also give out a lot of books. We have books and breakfast tours modeled after the Black Panthers. Um, really, just the idea that we have to see ourselves, and we need books that's for us by us. And I remember like book fairs, and I had no money, and I couldn't buy no books. 
and the books didn't even look like me anyway. So it's like I just always am trying to be the change that I want to see. You mentioned earlier about like, you know, wanting and I, everything you've talked about is doing like, you know, talking about actually doing the work mm-hmm. you've you've only talked about doing. So like, yeah. I, I just want to go back and be like, I don't know who's maybe telling you or but you, you're doing it like just so you know, like, I don't I, I haven't heard of like an idea that hasn't come to fruition yet. So like, I'm curious, is there like, is it just like the more is it you just want more? Honestly, I want peace and quietness. No, I don't want anything. Mm. Like, I really, I'm really led and guided by God's vision for my life. And again, I just be trying to be the change that I want to see. Like, I always tell people, I'm never going to stop fighting the fight. As long as God keep creating little black kids, I'm never going to stop fighting the fight. Because they deserve better. They deserve more. And again, like, we're here. We've, we've all, we're all doing well. We all good. So it's like we have a duty to these young kids. They didn't ask to be here. And I know there were people that fought for us to be in better positions. Mm. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm going to always fight. And I'd be tired. I'm not going to lie. Like, if it was just up to me, I would have stopped doing stuff a while ago. But it's like I'm I'm driven by something bigger than me. Keep getting that call. got to answer. Amen. But I got a question for you. So when you were in India, before the cameras were on, we talked about you being the womanist. Yes. Um, what was it like seeing, because I know for like, I'm a world news kind of guy. Okay. So like, I know like the healthcare system for women in India is shit. Yeah. That's one. And two, so like, how was that experiencing that firsthand? Because like, even with it being a young black woman in America, healthcare system, shit. Yeah. So it was just like, how was it seeing it abroad? And two, um, I forgot my second question, but yeah, go ahead. No, but I hear you. Um, so I really met some really dope Indian women over there. Like, they were super powerful, super dope. And we talked about some of the challenges, right? Because the colorism aspect is real. Domestic violence. That's what I was going to ask. Oh, because domestic violence in India is intense. Ridiculous. So I know it in theory. I didn't see it in reality, okay. obviously. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have heard about it. Not really. Okay. Um, only because we were like studying social entrepreneurship. So and like, nice. I met some people, but it was more so about like what they were doing. For other people. So I will say there was this one organization that was really dope. It was specific for women to be able to make their own living, right? So they would like make bags, make different things in order to not have to be dependent on these men mm-hmm. and be able to provide for themselves and their families. And so that was like one big thing that they did talk about, of like how women don't always have access to those type of things and making a life for themselves mm-hmm. and they have to be dependent and stay in those type of toxic relationships, yeah, right? Is women aren't allowed to go to a school after like the sixth grade. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's so funny because me, um, and somebody was just talking earlier about, I think it was like Russia, it might have been, we were talking about it was some other country. And basically, I think America is really good at like illusions. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we really even realize how oppressed women, and don't even get me started on black women, mm-hmm. how oppressed we really are, and how many rights we really don't have, and how like Malcolm X talked about how black women are the most disrespected, unprotected, you know, people in America. And I don't think we really, really understand it because we don't research it, we don't talk about it. And black women are so busy trying to save everybody but ourselves. We did a great episode, I thought, on, like, the health disparities, in particular, like, pregnancy. Like, we mentioned that. Oh, great. In this country. And I think people should know that, like, 
in a well-developed country like the United States of America, it is black women who are suffering the highest mortality rate when giving birth. 100%. I saw a post on social media the other day that said if being um, or getting pregnant or like, it was something about black women and pregnancy. It was like if getting pregnant was a job, it would be the fifth deadliest job in America, right? Yes. And for black women, like being a black pregnant woman. And it was like so heartbreaking because it doesn't have to be like this. You know what I mean? But again, black women, we suffer in silence. And all of that is racism. Yeah. It's all racism. It's all white supremacy. And and what's hard about it is black women don't even realize it. So um, systematic racism against black women and the healthcare system in America. That's what you were saying. And, and the thing is, every system, yep. every system in America. Like we were talking specifically about the healthcare system, mm. but I promise y'all. So this is the complicated thing. How do I say this? See, I do be trying not to be offensive. I know it don't always come off like that. I'm just saying. That shit off, man. The oration is great. Ooh, okay. So, I grew up around a lot of black men who were sexist. Really great men, right? But sexist. And so, for me, being a woman, I never looked at it as being less. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. it was something I almost wasn't as conscious of. Mm. Like, I was more conscious of me being discriminated against because I was black. Not as much a woman. And I remember it started to become more clear to me when I was in college and in law school and in business school. Because so even professors. Did you equate the two? Say more. Huh? Say more. Oh, okay. Did I cut you equate like being disrespected for being black and women did you and a woman did you equate the I two? separated it oh okay. right I mean, at the time but like now at, yeah at the time I feel like I wasn't even so like growing up I saw my mother disrespected I saw different things you know what I mean and I basically just said that's never gonna be me okay see it's shady though it's like the exceptionalism mm. like it's you that you care about so I maybe would say I was selfish right because it was no seriously it was about like so I wasn't going to be disrespected by men mm. period like I was never going to be in a position because my father had money so it was like I seen how people will money and power and it was like you're never going to play with me like that you get what I'm saying like was dead set on that and I was good but it's not just about me right it's mm. bigger than me and I remember when I would be in class people would be like even business school they'd be like you know Leslie we wish you could influence the other women to speak up because I realized like I didn't realize it at first, but like when I first went into classes, all that mattered to me was like I was the only black student or like I was one or two black students. I never thought about the fact that like I was the only woman speaking. Like that never even registered in my brain because I was never even thinking about that. Because when I look at white women, I look at, I look at them like white men. You mm. know what I mean? I never really was separating the two. But mm. then I realized there is a power structure and y'all are quiet as hell and y'all don't have nothing to say. It was weird once it was brought to my attention. And then that's when I started diving deeper and then is when it really hit me. Cause black men loved me and we was always cool. They always had a lot of respect for me. But then when I started challenging these black men, black men, we were on the same page about race all the time. When I started challenging them about patriarchy, misogyny, sex, oh, I was public enemy number one. <laughs> I was I was everything but a child of God. <laughs> it was like, that's when I knew that this was way more massive than I realized. And then I had a friend that challenged me on it. And she was like, it seemed like you care about black men more than you care about black women. Now, I know that could seem divisive, right? But what she was saying was, where is your advocacy for black women? You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Like, 
you advocate for black men because it's not just about an individual level it's about a policy level it's about a system level exactly and i can say thank god for the last five years i've been super intentional about black women to the point where people might feel now that i only care about black women but it's like how can you say that when so much of my advocacy still is about black men when I told y'all, like, I've been helping black men get free from wrongful yeah. convictions. I've been protesting for black men. And yes, I got arrested for Breonna Taylor for the first time in life because it takes that much for you to advocate for black women. And if you notice, of all three of those massive injustice murders we saw last year, only the only one that didn't get justice was a black woman. Yep. Yep. That's not a coincidence. We are not protected, we are disrespected. And when I opened up my eyes and I pulled the veil back was when I could start advocating for black women more. And it's not just a murder because a lot of times they don't murder us, but they'll violently arrest us, they'll mm -hmm. disrespect us, they'll tase us, they'll do all of these things, they'll kick us out of class for just crazy. speaking. Yeah. And it's just like, once I opened my eyes, it was like, you never could go back. Like I highly encourage everybody we often get told to read the autobiography of Malcolm X, but what about the autobiography of Asada Shakur? Mm -hmm. Changed my life. Changed my life. Shout out to Auntie Asada Shakur. Shout out to Complex, too, because they interviewed me and like gave a little thing that I said, a message to Asada. Okay. That's tight. Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't want to start a Twitter war or a gender war, but you made a point that how can someone say that when you do both? How do you find, if you do find that, do you have to balance the nuance of this subject? Like, it's not a man versus a woman or this, but this is, there's policy and there's historical context and there's things of that nature. And as a man, there are privileges that you get at the expense of the oppression of women. And it's like, how are you offended that I'm saying that? And then you want to tell me, but your mother black and your sister black. And it's like, don't that sound familiar? I don't, I don't understand how that would be a good rebuttal, though. But, the man but I promise you, when I be in arguments with these people, they be like, "How could you then say that?" Not my, like they literally say yeah, these words. That's a nigga's rebuttal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that doesn't. All right, if her, if if she's telling you that, like, yes, you're a man, you you benefit from the patriarchy. I don't know how. How could sense, you say you have a mo your mother is black? That that I doesn't. I promise y'all, it's no. I believe you. I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to work out their I logic. Know. And I'm just, and I will say too. I had to stop having conversations with certain black men. I promise y'all, because it really started in Miami. Let's okay. go back mm -hmm. to the colorism conversations. And I was so shook. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and I was hearing. And I continued having these conversations even in Minnesota and with black men in DC. And it was so heartbreaking because I love black men, but it really broke my heart. I was so discouraged and I was like, you know what? That's not my ministry. It's not, okay? Every ministry ain't mine. So what I'm going to do is work on helping protect black women since y'all definitely not going to do it. And I'm going to also have conversations with conscious black men. So I actually I like started that. an Instagram live called Queens and Kings Unite, which was really dope. So like last year, I interviewed um, Tony Lewis Jr., okay. an old classmate of mine, Malik. He has an Eat brand. Mm -hmm. um, I interviewed Stacks. I interviewed um, a brother in Miami um, named Julian. I just interviewed a whole bunch of dope black men I know. And we talked about how to really stand with black women, like in a real meaningful way and how we all have work to do, you know? And I think that sometimes for black men, it's hard because black men are so oppressed and we all know this, but I don't think they see how black women are oppressed and how they contribute to the oppression of mm -hmm. black women. And I think for some black men, it's a hard pill to swallow. 
just as like a black woman, it could be a hard pill to swallow that we sometimes oppress other women, you know? You know what? I was, I was talking about rebuttal. I was going to say, I think that might be the one rebuttal black men would say would be like, we're not in positions like leadership ways, policy. Mm-hmm. So because we're not, but I think there's a, the, that comes against a nuance because you can perpetuate those things in your family, in your households, in your community. Agree. And I said that, not to cut you off, no, we said that on our podcast and we talked about it last and Charles said it to me. I was like, Charles, how do I have power? I don't have, I'm a black man. I don't have any rights, things like that. I'm not in position. It's levels. And he was just like, bro, it's levels. He was That's like, good. It's That's levels. What I too. He was like, you That's can literally good. go outside and call someone a bitch and somebody would think that it's okay for you people to be calling women bitches. And I was just like, yeah, absolutely right. I just think there's, there's, right? Nuance, yeah. there's nuances to all this. So I think it like, is. I think if we're going to be honest, we live in a patriarchal society. Come on. Sure. So, why not? At the end of the day, I'm no one's. <laughs> not, I like, if we're going to get into like historical, then yes, like we can, we can debate and argue. But like, from a very overarching thing, patriarchal society, man or woman. Mm-hmm. If you're a man, you're going to lean in favor and win in things. That's just how the society works. 100%. I mean, it's very blatant examples you can look at, like black men getting the right to vote, right? Then white women getting the right to vote. Then eventually black women getting the right to vote. You get what I'm saying? And like, what I want black men always understand is like, we are y'all greatest allies. Like, we always stand with y'all. Yep. And it's just, we want it in return. Sometimes in front. Come on. That yeah. part. Yeah. I, listen, I agree with you. I just think a lot of people, in particular oppressed people, not just men, but like groups of cross history whenever confronted a lot of times it's defensive and i get it because i'm like that sometimes when that girl had the audacity it was one of my best friends cynthia shout out to cynthia she had the audacity to tell me i didn't stand with black women i was highly offended okay you gonna tell me exactly. i don't stand with black women yeah, but black woman? but it was true though right mm-hmm. you get what i'm saying but i still could elevate and become better and i think that's what we got to realize is like i'm not attacking you nope. i'm just telling you you could do better mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so maybe we just got to be kinder with each other and be more compassionate with each other but we do have to recognize it real quick i remember um nikki giovanni right she's having a conversation with Charlemagne, but they went back to a conversation she had with james baldwin back in the day and basically the conversation she had with james baldwin was like i know exactly what interview you know, you're talking, talking about, about right and basically it was some to the extent of like, if you love me, like, be lie soft to me. with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. lie to me like you lied to the white, white man, man all day, right? Basically, James Baldwin was asking her, exactly. she, he was like, you get, she basically said, you get beat by the white man da, 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 all the time, yeah, come then why come me. home and do it to me? Yeah. Exactly. Why, if, you want to be your honest, truthful, ugly self with me, but give everybody your pretty lies. Yeah. You right? might say, you want to be me. respectful to the white man, but come home and disrespect me. And how come often do we see that every single day? And then they talked about really how a condition has even been conditioned and how mm-hmm. I always tell people black man the essence of you is to not be on black women that's not your essence but you have mimicked the characteristics of our oppressor mm-hmm. right and they talked about how like back in the day you didn't see reports of this stuff but after slavery you now all of a sudden see it mm-hmm. right and so we can go on and on so I'm gonna leave that listen there. she done taught us history she done taught us laws maybe the slaves used to die over there she done taught us geography she's really good they wanted to stop their wife from getting beat right. raped so you know but yeah. even now think about how many times you hear men will be like can't nobody else disrespect her but I'm gonna I call can. her every name in the book yeah, you get what I'm saying it's crazy <laughs> damn every day nuances boy <laughs> it, it, it does <sighs> 
Niggas be on, it be like, I feel like that was a topic on Twitter not too long ago, so. Also, one thing I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, do what you want to do, black man. I really feel like language is important, and like, I like, I like Kendrick, he said niggas, mm-hmm. and I just be wondering, can we say niggas, which is not word for king? Are you talking about N-E-G-U-S? Then, yeah, instead of... He didn't say it right, but continue. How are you supposed to say it, tell me? It's Teach niggas. Me. It's like, you're actually supposed to enunciate the E-S. Yeah, I gotta say niggas? Yeah, I, you niggas. Just, it sounds the same. Niggas. Niggas, it niggas. Sound, it like, sounds, yeah. to, me, to me, it sounds it different. It's and French. not only though does it sound different, <laughs> it, it means something different. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, you could give me the Jay-Z argument, and I respect it. At the end of the day, I'm not here to police black people. So saying. black people could do what they want to do. But I do feel like what I worry about is how we treat each other mm-hmm. and how we, again, have taken on the characteristics of our oppressor and we treat each other our oppressor and worse than our oppressor treats us a lot of the time. But when I say the word niggas, I don't necessarily mean it in a derogatory sense. I'm just saying it more so in a encompassing sense. I agree. You know what I'm saying? So, but like, I do agree with you. Because well. I know you're more enlightened, you know, yeah. but a lot of us are not. Yeah, because I don't give that like, much. He is. <laughs> Not that enlightened, but I've, 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 I've changed That was a little joke. That was a little joke. I changed a lot. That was a little joke. Listen, little joke. y'all are enlightened. Even off camera, like, I don't even be like, that's my nigga and all that. We're like, oh, yeah, what's up, my brother? You know what I'm saying? Stuff yeah, like that. Definitely be banging to my brother these days. Yeah. I'll give you that. So that's beautiful. Like, yeah, like, I'll I'll give you that. it up a little bit. That's wonderful. Cause they not Muslim, so I can't be like my ox. So it's just like, like my brother. Yeah. Honestly, we need to talk off camera about our love to some brothers and sisters because I connected. I want to connect with more in Baltimore. What? So I was about to get here, but I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about B more. They got great food, yeah, and the harbor is really nice. We need to talk about outside the harbor though. That's the okay, so ask me what about. I'm doing in Baltimore. I'm about to. <laughs> So how does it work in Boston? I'm gonna look at this and be like, she is real, and I am, and I am, and I always be. and I am. Don't ask any of the football team from McKinley Tech; they'll tell you, okay? And I always been this way. So what your work has taken you from here to Miami to Minneapolis? In my fourth spot, four is my signature number. Four is my spiritual number. So is Baltimore now my where, fourth spot? Where we where we find you? So even though. The Midwest isn't a coast. I say I'm bi-coastal, okay? <laughs> I'm between Baltimore and Minnesota right now. I like that. And God has really put it on my heart to help build up Baltimore. Like, that's really where the next 10 years of my life is going to probably really be focused towards. I like so, that. growing up, my dad always had property in Baltimore. So, we used to drive up and go see. I used to be like, how does a government leave its people in such ruins, mm. right? Like, only a city full of melanated people is it going to look like this, right? You even have an HBO hit series 20 years ago. How does it still look like The Wire, mm-hmm. right? And so back then, I couldn't create Some that much change. Worse now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And white men benefited off of that. Yeah. That's a whole other story. So for about me, the factories out of Baltimore and all exactly. So for me, I always want to, y'all know, be the change I want to see. I don't really want to talk about it. I want to be about it. Mm-hmm. So real estate is the next name of the game. I think it's just very important for us to own some stuff. It's very important for us to be able to position our people to win. I grew up on Capitol Hill, and it was a predominantly black environment when I was growing up and when my mom was growing up there. And then the whole thing is gentrified now. Uh, I think the Washingtonian wrote a piece about that. Yeah, too long exactly. Yeah. And I watched white people come and benefit. And it, like 
our community, just like Africa, is hidden by poverty, violence, drugs, right? And it makes us scared to go in our own community. Mm. But white people are never scared, right? Mm. They come they see it as proactively. A they see it as a profit. They see the vision. You get what I'm saying? Not for what it is, but what they're going to make it. Mm. So my thing is, why can't we redevelop without gentrification, without the displacement, you know? Build, but not displace. And for me, Baltimore is one of the few places that allows us the opportunity to do that. Why do you think Baltimore in particular? So I would say like Baltimore, Detroit, it's only a few places where you have a majority black population, gotcha. right? Yep. We know D.C. is not even Chocolate City no more. Mm-hmm. So you have a majority black population. In addition to that, in D.C., there was no way that you were going to see an influx of so many white people coming in the city without displacement. In Baltimore, the city has so like thousands upon thousands of vacant properties right like it's actually the city can have so many more people live there without any displacement mm. and that's not common you know what mm-hmm. i mean like in They're most places people money to build them exactly yeah. and so it's a very unique opportunity that i think we need to see because they're already building in baltimore back up mm. But there's still an opportunity for us to be a part of the buildup. Because this whole district that's vacant out there. I job. like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, so West Baltimore is where I'm investing and helping okay. build up. Inshallah. And how does that turn easy on you? Amen. How does that play into your advocacy work? The it's DCA. all connected. Because like for me, I wouldn't really consider myself a real estate developer. It's more of a community developer, and real estate is just a part of it. Gotcha. Right. And so, like, I remember when I started business school, we asked the argument of, like, corporations, like, what do they owe to people, right? And I always believe that you can do well, but you also need to be doing good, right? Mm. So, yeah, you can invest in real estate. Yeah, you can build up. But it has to be with good intentions, and you have to be building with the community. And so, to your point about community development, that's all it's about. The activism, like, that's all it's about. I'm actually going out there next week because I've been connecting with the Neighborhood Association. And we're doing a toy giveaway and a community giveaway for Christmas. And it's just like, excuse me, but it's just like, for me, our community matters, and I always want to go to where I can make the most impact. So we're talking about, like, me going to Minnesota. Minnesota wasn't lit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thank God that I was able to help and contribute something to it. Right now, Baltimore's not the hot spot. Atlanta's the hot spot. Mm-hmm. That's true. But Baltimore's going to be the hot spot. So follow me, you all. Amen. I'm just trying to tell y'all. Listen, God has given me the vision, and I'm starting to pour into it. And I don't want this to just be a me thing. I want this to be a we thing. So I actually hosted a mission trip in Baltimore um, at the beginning of October. And it was kind of interrupted because I had a brother that got murdered in D.C. And so that kind of um, rest in peace. threw a wrench in it. Thank you. Rest in peace to Lester. Um, and for those of you that might see this and know me, not my little brother Lester. It was my older brother Lester. But... Um, so when I was having a mission trip out there, it was really dope, and we did a lot of community cleanup. We did a lot of community prayer. It was beautiful. And one of my best friends, Angela, who's the current president of NAACP, she came out here in Minneapolis, NAACP, and she was like, a mission trip, Leslie? Like, I don't really mess with mission trips because white people are missionaries. And I was explaining to her, like, no, this is the mission that God gave me. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why it's a mission trip. Not because I'm coming to colonize. Yeah, and you're it, not coming to force nothing on nobody. No, not at all. Like, when I tell people all the time, like, I want people to see God through me in the work that I do. Since 2019, I've probably more intentionally been talking about God, but I've always been doing God's work. You know what I mean? 
And Baltimore is a part of that. It's like really the future of it. Normally, I would say this is the part of the episode where I tell you to look in the camera and just tell them something. But you done prayed for motherfucker. You done prayed for people. You done gave them some history. Actually, John like did a part of that earlier in the episode already. Oh yeah, when we talked earlier. Yeah. So I'm gonna do something different now because you are actually doing the work, God's work. Yeah. The kingdom, the, I forget the phrase you use about millennial. What do you call yourself? A kingdom building millennial. Kingdom building millennial. How can people help build the kingdom? What resources, what things do you need? Just take all, all the time you need to just tell them. Whether it's GoFundMes, time, tell us what you need. Amen. So you all, make sure you follow me on social media. My social media everywhere is Leslie E. Redman. That's where you're going to be able to keep up with me at. I'm probably mostly going to be on Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook, and I'm going to get more active on Twitter. We're going to raise $4 million, right? We're going to make $4 million to build up West Baltimore. So we're going to be doing Kickstarters. We're going to be doing events. We're going to be doing GoFundMe's. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. We're going to be building. Y'all going to have to come and interview me in Baltimore one of these days. Oh, Amen? That's what I'm just so, yeah, we're going to build up Baltimore, and I actually already have some property out in Baltimore. We have a lot of building to do, so we're going to be raising $4 million. So if it's anybody to see this that just want to write a check, amen, just hit me up on social media, Leslie Redman. And my website is lesliredman.com. We're beginning $4 million. Did you hear us? Definitely. And we're building up West Baltimore. Yes. $4 million. I know y'all see four. That's my number. So now you're going to be a property owner in Baltimore. Will you be involved with the redlining and all that that's going on? Because it was something that happened in... So, you know, um, Baltimore is like the creator of redlining, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, it's kind of like the opposite. So Baltimore has some real ancient policies, kind of like ground rent. Mm-hmm. Ground rent doesn't really exist anymore, but it still exists where black people are, of course, mm-hmm. because it allows it to be easier for them to take our land from us when they feel like it. And so I really want to help with policy and pushing for good policy because I know it's wherever I live when it's a majority black people, it's horrible policy. Minnesota, where it's a white Wakanda, has some of the best policies I've ever seen. You know mm-hmm. they don't have speeding cameras or nothing like that? Because yeah. they say it's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And it is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. But they don't care about black people's constitutional rights because they got speeding cameras all up D.C. and everywhere else, right? So for me... Yeah, exactly. Even that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about implementing good policies and also helping the people right to be involved in the change that they want to see okay i have one more question what was it like being in minnesota with all my good brothers and sisters up there and talking to them muslims i'm about to say you know that's what i knew he was talking about honestly i love our muslim brothers and sisters i think there's so much that we can learn uh you know malcolm x is one of my favorite people ever uh, there's a masjid in North that I collaborate with a lot. I love those brothers and sisters there. And actually, um, I was just a part of helping. We were distributing about $650,000 to black organizations. And I think like 150000 went to Masjid in North and the great work that they're doing. So I love, I love our brothers and sisters. I have so many like real close friends that are Muslim brothers and sisters. So love them a I just lot. wanted to know because I just want to go up there to visit. Come. Yeah. I'm plugged in. I connect you with some people. Say less. Yeah. Listen, this is a legendary. I normally don't Wait, say... Quick question. Can I go to a service? I don't think I've ever been. Am to, I allowed to go to... To a masjid? Yeah. Yeah, you got to say what a woman said. You just got to go ask one of your Muslim friends. I'm pretty sure they'll tell you, but yeah, my, uh, the masjid is open to anybody. Dope. And I got to cover up. Yeah. Amen. I don't always... 
Yeah, keep going. No, I said I normally don't do this episode. No, like during the episode, be like, legend. This is like a legendary episode. Like she was legendary from beginning to end. Leslie E. Period. Redwood. Yes. Make some damn noise. Make some fucking noise. Grace and peace, everyone. DCA, that's the campaign. Don't forget it. Yes. Say you like that breakdown. <laughs>